Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Hopefully everybody had a phenomenal weekend. Not the greatest weekend for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but a great weekend for EJ Raddick. Got to spend some time with his family. Beautiful weekend. Watch some hockey. So things are going well for you, AJ. EJ, right, man? Yeah, I can't complain. Good. All is good. I mean, we listen uh, anyway, right? With little, old, little old man hockey. Doesn't matter. I mean, whatever we do, we do. But, like, you know, we had a nice, had a nice time at the Princeton Hockey Club. Went to a little old man hockey tournament and won, so that was good. Made a little wager on the Kentucky Derby and won that. So uh, nice. Off with my son, it's all good. It was a good weekend. No complaints. Every weekend would be that good. I'd be thrilled. Well, and just uh, a lot of hockey. I mentioned the Leafs. We'll get to them in a second. But uh-huh. um, you know, a lot of people that consume this podcast very interested in the uh, parting of the ways between Gerard Gallant and um, the New York Rangers. And if anybody listened to the podcast last week, we're not surprised by that. We we thought that the firing would be inevitable. I guess what the crossroads I come to, EJ, is that you start to hear that the exit interviews might have been the last straw for Gallant. And I guess it kind of bothers me that the players have the power that they do, if indeed it's the players that wanted him gone, because... Well, it was the players that wanted Quinn gone because he was a little too hands-on. Now Gallant's a little too hands-off. And, you know, when you go back to Tortorella and, and A.V., it just seems like, you know, what do the players want? When does it become their responsibility? You know, when do they take the blame for it? It always seems like the coach has to take the fall. So I guess what I'm asking you from your expertise, is this like players wanting him gone or is this Chris Drury like reading between the lines in the exit interviews that maybe the players didn't necessarily say they didn't like him, but hearing what they had to say about how the season went, Drury came to the conclusion that the coach was the wrong guy. I think there had been a rift between management, ownership, and the coach, Chris Drury, and their ownership management group, and the coach for a while now. I mean, in November, when the team was struggling, they were actively making phone calls to other teams about talking to coaches. That's what happened. And, you know, in the end, the team got got going and started winning and had another really good season. And, you know, so that went away. But it was always there. Yeah, the exit interviews, I mean, I think at the exit interviews, they would have had, the players would have had to rally in support of Gerard Gallant. I mean, you okay. would have had, you would have probably had to see something like, you know, out of the movies, like you know, with Rudy, where they kind of lay their jerseys down for old Rudy there, you know, <laughs> in that right. movie. So, I mean, I don't think anybody was laying their jersey down for the, for their head coach in this case. I don't think they, you know, some of the guys probably didn't like him, and you know, I, I've heard that uh, you know, Artemi Panarin wasn't a big fan, but he's had pretty good seasons the last two years under. Under Girardi, didn't play very well in the playoffs, but you know that's that's a different challenge. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that's really where this is at. I mean, yeah, okay, player interviews. We talked to the players afterwards. They had some, maybe had a few of them had some concerns. I think that there was a this was a rift, and they just decided, you know, a while ago that they wanted to go in a different direction. They had lost their confidence that he was the guy 
to get them where they wanted to go. It doesn't mean that Gerard couldn't have done it at some point. It doesn't mean Gerard's a bad coach. Heck, he's done a right. great job with the Raiders in terms of the wins and losses. But at the end of the day, when management and ownership loses confidence, I think you have to make a move because if they would have brought him back, John, and the team would have started out, let's say, three and five, Right. I mean, you know where that's going. So now you've lost the training camp. You haven't, you've lost maybe somebody you want to hire uh, in that, you know, that, that's been hired by someone else or not available. So I think in the end it was, I mean, everybody kind of knew it. We talked about it, Don. We talked about it last week. I talked about it with people leading up to the, you know, up to the, the playoffs and like, you know, where things stood there and, well, at the end of the day, we wish Gerard Gallant nothing but the best. He's done a good job as a coach in this league. He took the Vegas Golden Knights, an expansion team, to the final. And then he took a Rangers team in his first year to the to the final four when nobody, I think, saw that coming. So Gerard has done a good job as a coach in this league. I hope he gets another opportunity at the end of the day. Rangers management just... You know, they soured on them for different reasons, and and they move on. So, you know, the, now the question is, who's next? Yeah, I mean that, that's that. But as as we get to that point, it just it's very interesting that a coach who took a team to within two games of a Stanley Cup final could be possibly out of a job the following November. You know, now I and I know yeah, they got amazing, off to an, right? and I got off to a they got off to an awful start and if everybody remembers the 5-2 loss to Chicago, I called the game, Truba throws his helmet, they turn it around and and all that. And and I get that, but just so something must be going on that your job can be that much peril that early in a, in a, the next season after you come so close to going to a Stanley Cup. And 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 this is not a coach that the this regime in, inherited. I mean, Chris Drury picked no. this guy, so they hired him. That yeah. that's what fine. Uh, uh, so yeah, I guess it just seems like there was something wrong that had to that had to happen. Like even during the run to the Stanley Cup, where Chris agree, must have listen, had some seeds, some de- some doubts. The seeds were sown without question in those. I think in that series against Tampa. I mean, I don't know if you could, you know, maybe even as far back as the first round against Pittsburgh because, let's face it, for those of us who remember those games well, the Penguins were one uh, Sidney Crosby not getting injured in game five from moving on, you know, because they were clearly the better team in the first five games, and that was even without their top two goals. Right. And the Rangers rallied in that series when Crosby got hurt, and they ended up winning it in overtime in game seven. But I would think certainly going back to the series against Tampa, I mean, I guess, you know, again, this is just my guess. I mean, I would think they just weren't happy that they were with the adjustments in the game or maybe felt that uh, got outmaneuvered by John Cooper, who, you know, by the way, that wouldn't be the first time that happened to a coach. That happened pretty dramatically to Andrew Burnett in the previous round last season. Um, so, you know, whatever it is, you're right. It dates back to, to even a – a really good first year, and uh, it was, you know, sometimes people just don't see eye to eye about the way things go, and if it's the person who's in charge, you know, if the roles were reversed, maybe maybe Gerard Gaunt would would have moved on from Chris Drury in the same circumstances. So they just didn't see eye to eye on things, and Chris felt that, uh, you know, he's just something else. But Chris Drury, if nothing, is not decisive. Right. When uh, when you think about his tenure so far, he's made some significant decisions. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, what's going to happen next? I'm curious because 
they come off David Quinn. Previous administration had David Quinn, who was a college coach, first-year NHL head coach. You know, that did not go to their liking. Now, they did rebuild during that stretch, so I think it's not really fair maybe to judge David Quinn during that, you know, that tenure. But, you know, would they go to another first-time NHL-level head coach? Do they want a more experienced guy? The report is, we talked about Joel Quenville last week. The report is they're not going to pursue Joel Quenville, but I think that's okay. They're not going to pursue him as of May the 8th or May the right. 7th yesterday, May the 8th today. Like, maybe that changes, you know, after if this search drags on because Joel Quenville's status could change over time. We don't know that. So we'll have to wait and see there. I mean, is someone like Mike Babcock on the table? I mean, uh, he has his own baggage, but I know he's got connections to guys like Mike Barnett and uh, Doug Riseborough, who are connected to Glenn Sather pretty closely. And, you know, I think Mike, while he hasn't coached in a while and seems to be comfortable in not coaching, I think the head coaching job of the New York Rangers is intriguing for anybody who's ever coached in this league. Uh, you go Peter Laviolette, who's available now after leaving Washington. Those are the guys that I think of that have won Stanley Cups in recent years. I mean, I don't I don't see like a Daryl Sutter being a, a guy they bring in, but I mean, we'll see. That's the thing. Is, that's the question. Who's next? Is it Chris Knobloch? Do they take a chance on, you know, right. a young guy that's paid his dues? That's going to be the question for Chris Rury. Yeah, it's... Now, I brought up the players at the beginning of the interview, EJ, because it does seem like they have a comfortable group of guys that aren't going anywhere you know so there's not a lot they can do with this roster so the question is who's the best coach to get the most out of them and and i think experience counts here like i i I don't get i i like him a lot i i get the sentiment but i don't get the whole mark messier love honestly i mean he he's never been a coach before he hasn't made an effort to do anything to forward that other than just wanting the gig he hasn't been an assistant anywhere he hasn't taken a job anywhere to kind of forward that i'm sorry this is too big a job for somebody that's inexperienced knoblock the same thing i know he did coach when when quinn had covid and he's paid his dues but you know for for a win now team I don't know if I can go with an experience. I think I've got to go with a guy that has kind of been there and done that. They're a win-now team, and, and I can't afford to have that kind of mystery of how will he handle this. I, so, you know, a Sutter, a Laviolette, a Quinville, I know what I'm going to get from those guys. And I think they'll make an immediate impact for a team that is completely a win-now team. So um, I know Sutter you know, ruffles a lot of feathers, and players end up hating him at the end of the day. But he gets results, and what he did in Los Angeles, I think, was tremendous. Now, it's going to fall apart. Same thing with Laviolette. He's, he's going to have an immediate impact, and in three years from now, they're all going to want to kill him. <laughs> but that seems the way it goes with every coach, and, and I don't know if you can really afford, EJ, to go with an experience here. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think the best, you know, listen, I, I think the best guy is Joel Quenville for this team because he knows Panarin, and he's won – and it just seems like the right fit. Now, unfortunately, Joel Quenville is in a situation of his own doing that, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we don't know if he's available. And the Rangers said explicitly that they are not going to pursue him, at least again, in early May. I don't think the league is eager to, to start a Joel Quenville conversation 
while the playoffs are going on. I don't think right. they're eager to start that conversation while the draft is going on. I don't think they're eager to start that conversation during the awards. Hmm. Are they eager to start that, or are they willing, not about eager, are they willing yeah. to have that conversation in early July? And is the job still open in early July? True. Who knows? So I guess what I'm saying is that things to change. The Rangers have made their declaration. Maybe they will go after someone else. I tend to agree with you. I do think that this roster would benefit from someone with a more experienced hand. Um, but it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch for sure because just the fact that the Rangers have decided to move on from a guy – that got him to the playoffs in back-to-back years, that had team in the Final Four last year. Um, and guys had good years for him. Say what you want. Chris Kreider had two great years for him. I mean, he did. Adam Fox is nominated for the Norris Trophy again yeah. this year. Panarin, too. Um, Even if he didn't know, like him, Panarin had two go- back-to-back 90-point yeah. seasons. The goalie uh, has been a terrific goalie for them. I mean, you know, he's just a great goalie. I think if I was coaching, he'd be a great goalie. But... You know, the bottom line is they've decided to move on from someone who has done well. But I think more to the point, Don, is they have to make some personnel changes as well that are good and, and really figure out their cap situation and what they're going to do with the young players that are, you know, that they play together on that kid line and they're really guys who are better suited to be top six forwards. You know, do they can they find a way to create space to move them up the lineup or do they have to maybe move them out and as a way to try to figure something else out. The negative there is that those guys are still relatively affordable. And some of the guys that, you know, they might have to consider moving along are, are probably harder to move. So a lot of challenges for the Rangers. And uh, it just goes to show you things can change, change really quickly in pro sports, as you know, Don, where, you know, one minute you're, you, you think you're in a great spot. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you have a lot of decisions to make. So we'll see. They have a lot of good players. They have a great goalie. I love their defense. Still, um, you know, and they've got a number of really good forwards. So the question is going to be, you know, how do they put the pieces back together in with the cap situation and obviously who's going to be directing traffic behind the bench. The question, though, EJ, is like if they were reaching out to coaches in November, like who? Yeah. Because Sutter was uh, Sutter was in Calgary, Laviolette was in Washington, Quinville was still. Well, Barry Trotz, Barry Trotz was one of them, and, and now he's he, in Nashville. Uh, from what I again, from what I understand, through people I spoke with, uh, the Islanders were not interested. <laughs> needless to say, in allowing the Rangers to speak to their former coach, so I don't think that went anywhere. And um, you know, I think there was. I think there was a conversation about, you know, is Joel Quenville available? Right. So, so those were the two that, that I that I know of based on conversations I've had, and there may have been others. But bottom line is that's where they are. And, you know, the Rangers are, you know, they're, they're trying, as you said, they're trying to win now. The, yeah. Even though they have young players there, the window is kind of now for the Rangers to be in the mix. Now, and that, that that's an indication of that's who they were talking to. Um, then it kind of tells you the level of, of experience that they're looking to replace, and that can maybe can kind of narrow the list from there. So I would think that that would knock the Messiers and the Knobloks out of the conversation, at least just my speculation, if they were reaching out to Barry Trotz and, and kicking the tires on Joe Quinville. Um, but, you know, you make an excellent point about Quinville. All right, that, that's the answer now. What's the answer a month from now, two months from now? 
you know, but the NHL told them, listen, we're not going to do anything or even, you know, talk about this until we get deep into the summer, then it's easy to just say he's not on their radar right now, and maybe they get blown away by somebody else, but that doesn't mean it can't be revisited at some point, but... Uh, all right, well, that's the Rangers situation. Let's talk about the teams that are alive or nearly dead, and, and that's Toronto. Um, but I, I, rather than criticize Toronto, I think we need to compliment this Panther team. I mean, they, they you know, this is a team that was dead in the water, EJ. They were done. Uh, I remember being, I remember in December being in Florida talking to Steve Goldstein, their TV voice, saying that this, this team is going to have to win an incredible clip just to get into the playoffs. And, and now if you look at the odds, they're the favorite to win the Cup. <laughs> like I said, things can change quickly, right? Yes. And they, they certainly have for the Florida Panthers. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the odds because last week I believe the uh, last week I believe the, the Florida or the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs were the favorites <laughs> to win yeah. the cup. And clearly that those odds, I'm sure, have changed dramatically in the last, uh, you know, several days. So, uh, they're, listen, they've played great. you got to give them a lot of credit. They clawed their way into the postseason uh, on the back of uh, an unexpected goalie, Alex Lyon, uh, even in the first round of the playoffs against the Boston Bruins. And, and then Sergei Bobrovsky has come in, and he has been Sergei Bobrovsky that we remember throughout his career. And, and you got to give the, the Panthers credit. I mean, Paul Maurice, I've said it, like sometimes guys get to a point in their career well, they've had so much experience, and they're just like, hey, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm just going to trust my instincts, and I'm going to work with the people I trust around me. And I think Paul has pushed so many right buttons. I mean, I, to start the thing with Alex Lyon, I, didn't, I would have never guessed you could go into Boston and win any games with Alex Lyon in the playoffs. And they split. No. And, you know, then when the time was there to, to move on from Alex Lyon and to go back to Bobrovsky, he went back to him, and, the, and Sergei Bobrovsky came up huge. Remember game five, Marchand breakaway? The clock is running down, and, and he makes this great stop on him to send the game into overtime, and, uh, you know, they ended up winning in game seven. I mean, they broke down. They did kind of dismantled the Boston Bruins, and the Boston Bruins were really a frustrated, stumbling group by the end of that series. And, again, you know, still it was seven games in overtime. So maybe – Instead of being so hard on the Bruins, maybe we should give the Florida Panthers a lot of credit because yeah. they've had a game plan. They've executed it well. They've been well coached. They've had good goaltending when they needed it. Their defense has played really smart. They move the puck out of their end as best they can. They manage the puck pretty good. They tie up the neutral zone. You're not seeing a lot of odd man rushes against them, or certainly not nearly as many as you saw in the regular season. And they just four-checked the hell out of you. So, listen, they're, they're going to be a tough – they're going to be tough for anybody. Obviously, Toronto, uh, they still have one more to win against Toronto. The odds are not with the Leafs. I don't like the, you know, I, like we've seen, like Florida has lost four games in a row this year. So I just look at it this way. It's right. not impossible, but certainly based on what we've seen so far, it's going to be really difficult for the Leafs. <laughs> all they can really do, all the Leafs can really do right now, with, by the way, their number three goalie, all they can really do right now is try to, is try to be better managing the puck and try to find a way to win game four and see what happens. You know, we live so much in the now, EJ, but you know, you tend to forget Sergei Bobrovsky's a really good goaltender. I, and I know that there's been yeah. rough patches for him, but he's won two Vesna Trophy. He's, uh, he has 360 career wins. You know, so yeah. I, I know we live in the now, and it's been kind of a struggle. 
for him in in recent years, especially in Florida. But you forget he's he's got a pretty extensive resume. No question, no question about it. And he's a ten million dollar goalie. They paid him a lot of money for a reason, and he's kind of living up to that right now. And you know, it's funny how it goes, right? You see this in sports too, is just as well as I have, Donnie, right? If Sergei Bobrovsky goes on a run here and they were to win the Stanley Cup or even get to the final, that contract is worth every penny. It is. <laughs> so, and, and it's a lot of money. And, like, you know, nobody was that crazy about it. It's really almost since they signed it. But if they were to get to the final, or like I said, if they somehow find a way to win, nobody's talking about his contract anymore. That's money well spent. Yeah. So it's crazy how it works in sports. He's playing well enough right now. The team in front of him is playing well enough. They're getting a lot of great performances. And, and under the radar, Slava Barkov is getting healthier and playing better. He is. And that's a problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well because that guy is a big, strong, two-way, 200-foot centerman that really is hard to play against. And if you're wondering why some of the Leafs star players are struggling, keep an eye on where number 16 is on the ice. He is a detriment out there because he just makes it hard to, he's hard to play against. Devils get back in their series with Carolina. I know the Hurricanes won a couple of games on the road, but I'm sure they they get a little nervous having to play on the road and probably didn't feel all that comfortable being up 2-0 considering that's what they were against the Rangers at this time last year and end up blowing it. Uh, I, I, I can't remember EJ, <laughs> excuse me, EJ watching a game where a team won giving up three shorthanded goals. Uh, Devils were a little too leaky, yeah. but still, they needed a win. They got it, but... Uh, they're going to have to tighten things up if they're going to really uh, continue to move on in this series because I'm not sure eight, four wins are going to get you too far in these playoffs. Well, I'll say a couple things. First of all, the teams have played seven times this year, the Devils and the Canes, going back to the regular season. Carolina has scored seven shorthanded goals <laughs> against the Devils. Seven, yeah. including a penalty shot yesterday. Amongst the three, one of them was a penalty shot, which, of course, comes from having a good scoring chance, right? So it's kind of mind-boggling. Carolina's penalty killing is it's been outstanding. And, you know, there's part of me, Don, that watched the re, the redo of 2006 in Edmonton-Carolina series just to see Edmonton's historic power play mm. against Carolina's penalty kill because nobody can seem to stop Edmonton's power play. No. But Carolina, since going back to January 10th, I don't have the exact figures, but they, going into, like, I think it was game two, they had stopped, they had killed 121 of 133 power plays. I mean, that's 90-some-odd percent. I mean, that is impressive. And they are aggressive. They make it hard for you. And they make you really have to execute and be crisp to beat them. And so their penalty killing has been terrific. So I, I didn't want to mention that for the listeners. But, you know, this is what I'll say. The Devils... The Devils are the, are the wild card. I said it when we started about talking about the playoffs this year. They can lose in the first round. They can go to the final. They've got a lot of skill. Carolina, I don't think they get nervous on the road. They're just not quite as good on the road for whatever reason. That's been the number. I mean, yeah, they got a couple of wins against the Islanders, but the Islanders are a perfect team to beat on the road because the Islanders can't extend the lead. And the Devils, as you saw yesterday, they get one, they get two, they get three. Now they're ahead 3 nothing. The Devils can extend the lead. The Devils have the offensive firepower to extend the lead in the game. And the Carolina Hurricanes, they're not built to chase the game. Not many teams are. 
but they are not built to change right. the game, and the Devils know it. Jack Hughes talked about it after the game. He said, hey, they're not the same team. When they have the lead, they're above the puck. They make it hard for you. They're always making you go 200 feet. Everybody's in the right spot. When they're, when they're trailing, they got to open up a little bit there, and that opens up things for the Devils. So game four, just see if the Devils can score first. If they can extend the lead, they'll be in a great spot because Carolina will be out of their game. Who's Carolina going to play in goal in game four? Go back to Freddie. Do you go to Kochetkov? Auntie Ronta was apparently ill, and that's why he didn't dress for game four. So, was, or game three, is he even available? So, there's a little bit of a problem. And the Devils got back in the game physically. They got pushed around in Carolina. And I thought they, they, they went after some guys in, in, in Carolina and pushed back. Uh, Marty Natchez, and, you know, I saw him taking a lot of blows yesterday. So, I'll be really curious to see what happens in. Uh, you know, in game number four, I would just tell the Devils, if you get a power play, maybe just a kind. <laughs> yeah. It's the only area where Carolina gets so good on that penalty kill. They just they, they suck the life out of you. One good thing, or several good things happened in the game. Meyer scored. Great for him. Get on the board. Sometimes goal scorers get on a run. We've seen that. And Palat did score a power play goal late in the game. It was kind of meaningless in the outcome. But you know what? That was the Devils' first power play goal against Carolina in seven games this year. Right. Maybe that makes them feel a little bit more confident. So, you know, a lot of good things happened for the Devils. Luke Hughes was terrific in the game. A lot of good things happened. We'll see if it rolls over to game four. Can you believe he's got 100 points in the playoffs, Palat, in his career? Because <laughs> I, uh, I guess he gets lost. He's it. Donnie, he's played in about 3,000 playoff games. But uh, That's right. But he, and he also gets <laughs> lost in the fact that, like, all the people that you think yeah. about with those Tampa runs, but, you know, that's one of the reasons they went out and got him. Yeah, and he goes back to the original triplets, right? Like, it was yeah. him and Tyler Johnson, right? Sure. And I, was it Kucherov was the third guy? I forget it was the room. Maybe it was Stamkos. I forget it going back, but I remember it was Pilat and Tyler Johnson when they first started to make a little noise. Remember they had that run to the Eastern Conference Final, I think it was in 2011 with Guy Boucher. Yeah, against Boston, right, yeah. And and, and he was one of the guys, so he's played in a lot of playoff games. He's been a really good player. He's been a, you know, ask the Rangers. They got a dose of him last year, and they got another dose of him this year. Yeah. I'm sure they could do without Andre Pilat, but yeah, he's, that's why the Devils went out and got him. Again, that contract is not going to look good probably two, three years from now. But right now, he serves a valuable role for the Devils. Maybe it will, but, you know, again, he's doing what they wanted him to do, which is provide veteran leadership. Now, we were talking with um, Anthony, my producer, about, like, the best goaltenders left in the second round, and you can make the case that the best goaltender was Jake Ottinger. And so far in the series against not Seattle, night. not so much. Not last night. And really, uh, outside of Pavelski, there hasn't really been much offense for Dallas. And you know, it, just like Seattle did against Colorado, I mean, that was a legit win. It wasn't fluky. Granted, Colorado had their issues with no uh, uh, Landeskog, no Nikuchkin, and all that the, that, the pomp and circumstance around that. But give the Kraken credit. They're starting to score goals. They're getting, you know, Grubauer's played very well for them. They've made Seattle a, a very difficult place to play. And, and they, they deserve to be up two games to one. Well, I guess most importantly in the series, I mean, the two things you point out, Ottinger was not good last night. I mean, right. he was not good. Now, he's had a history of bouncing back, so, you know, he had some tough games against Minnesota. He bounced back, and he was really good. So let's see how he does here. Um, also, the injury to, uh, to Miro Haskin, and I mean, that can be a devastating blow. 
if he could not return. He got hit with a shot up high. It led to the first goal. It kind of changed the whole game because it was a scoreless game, and it was really, I thought, a, a good back and forth. And the shot hit him right. It looked like in the cheekbone area, fell into the crease. It's the second time this year we've had a guy get hit with a puck in the face on it, on his, and then the puck be knocked into the net against his team. We saw that with Ajo and Brock Nelson in the first round when Brock Nelson was able to bat one in that, that deflected off Ajo's face. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did not return. Pete DeVore said he wanted to come back, but they felt like because the game was out of hand by that point, they, they held him out. So we'll see if that's true. If he does come back, does he have to play with a bubble like like uh, like Timo Meyer is playing with? And if he has to play with a bubble, does that impact the way he plays? Because, you know, playing with that thing, people don't realize. I mean, it impacts your peripheral vision. It impacts the way you're breathing. It impacts a lot of things that are like that make you uncomfortable. It doesn't mean you can't play. Right. It just means you have to adjust to it and get comfortable with it. And these guys don't wear that kind of face protection for many years. You know, so they wear it as young people, and then they don't wear it. They wear a shield for the most part. So that will be the question. A, is he healthy enough to play? And then B, if he has to wear that kind of face protection, will he be comfortable and be able to to participate to his normal high, high standards. So that's a couple of things. But Seattle, I mean, the Carson Soucy scored a goal last night. Everybody scored. They have 16 yeah. guys on their team that have scored goals. So it's an unbelievable story. Um, but in that conference with, I mean, we'll see what happens tonight. Maybe Vegas goes in a win tonight and it's 2-1. I don't know. But Edmonton just looks like, I mean, you just can't take a penalty against them. No. So. Talking about you know, underrated guys, and, and everybody knows who Leon Dreisaitl is. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's obscure, but you do get masked by the great Connor McDavid. Guy had 50-plus goals, and he's got 13 goals in eight playoff games. you got to go back to Yari Curry in 85 to be on that pace. Yeah. And if and if Edmonton makes any kind of run, he's going to break the record for goals in a playoffs, uh, round, uh, playoff uh, run. It, it's it's really incredible what this power play has done and just how Drysaddle seems to be everywhere in these eight playoff games that he's played. It's a historic run right now. I mean, when you think about it, it's uh, it's been spectacular. And, you know, probably it probably isn't getting near enough attention what he's done. But, uh, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights, they got to go to the tape room and figure something out on the, you know. I mean, they're going to take penalties. That's just the way the games are. It's rare you can go through you know, a period, more or less a game without getting a penalty at some point, and they want to be a physical team. But, uh, boy, they got to figure it out because the Oilers have just been, you know, and they're another team. They could extend leads. That's a that's a huge thing, and, and that's, you know, to get the first goal, then they, you know, the other night, one, then two, then three, and then the game's over. So the Vegas Golden Knights have a lot of work to do, uh, certainly going into the game tonight, but... Uh, you know, if anything, we know one thing: these playoffs have been crazy, Don. So we'll have to just we'll have to let it get played out on the ice. Yeah, I mean, we we always joke, EJ, talking regular season. You know, well, you know, you're you're not winning, you're not winning games in the playoffs. You know, eight four, you know, eight five. No, well, this year you are. <laughs> this year it seems well, like seven two last goals, night, right? I goals of plenty, game, right? You know, and even competitive games. I mean, especially in this series, we saw the Golden Knights win game one six four. I mean, so. I mean, I think it'll tighten itself up as we get a little bit deeper here, but uh, we've seen it all season long. It's been a, it's been an offensive explosion. So many skilled players, and and look how many goaltenders have actually 
Uh, how many teams have used multiple goaltenders? Not just getting pulled, yeah. like using multiple goaltenders to start games. So, yep. you know, clearly this is an offensive league right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you're absolutely right. There's been multiple goalies being shuffled around. And uh, it's, been a, listen, it's been a crazy year. We talked about it all year. It's been a really offensive year, and it's continued to some degree in the playoffs. When the games do get to push, down, push comes to shove, right, like you do have to manage the puck better, and I think – you know, in the, in the case of the Leafs, I mean, that's been their biggest downfall. They just not have, they have not managed the puck very well, and you know, I think that's why they're in the situation they're in. But uh, you know, I, I'm not writing off anything at this point, down because this season has been too strange. No, it's been it's absolutely crazy. And uh, before we let you go tonight, eight o'clock Eastern time, the draft lottery, and it's a pretty significant one because you've got what many believe is going to be the next great player in this league. Uh, Connor Bedard going to be the number one pick overall, and um, you look at some of the teams that got the best chance: the Ducks, eighteen point five; Blue Jackets, thirteen point five. But boy, would it be interesting if he was to find his way into Chicago, um, a major market like that, at eleven point five. Canadians have an eight point five chance, but uh, this could be a pretty significant night uh, for the National Hockey League because it looks like this is a pretty special player. Well, just look around, right? Like, first of all, he's a very—he's an unbelievably talented player, right? He's already been quite accomplished to this stage of his life. But just look around: Connor McDavid, first overall pick. Mm-hmm. Their team is doing well. Leon Draisaitl was a high pick. Jack Hughes was a first overall pick. I mean, just go through the league. I mean, you know, the teams that are really good—they've got players like that that they've gotten high in the draft that are somewhere in the mix. And uh, well, he is going to be a cheese got the potential to be a, a big game changer for a franchise and sure there's a lot of nervous general managers and owners going tonight that uh, know the fortunes of their group can be changed uh, dramatically those lottery balls come bouncing down in their favor yeah, it doesn't always go to the worst team too you never know no we've uh, seen it the devils have won it the rangers have won it now they weren't great in those seasons but right listen it's the percent when you think about the, the percentage, I mean, your best percentage is is less than twenty percent, right? So I mean we'll see. It'll be interesting tonight. I'll be very, very fascinated to watch how it plays out. Listen, thank you so much. I'm glad you had a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, you got it, Toddy. All right, that's EJ Raddick. You can watch him on the NHL network, NHL now between the hours of four and six Eastern time. He's all over it. So really interesting stuff on the coaching situation with the Rangers and what's happening with the playoffs. We've got just one game tonight, but it's a good one. Oilers, Golden Knights, they see uh series shifts to Edmonton series even at one game apiece, and just amazing. Thirteen goals for Leon Dreisaitl through the first eight games of the playoffs. Just absolutely incredible what he's been able to do there. Power play clicking at 56%. That's actually down from where it was back in the first round, but still just incredible. And then Tuesday, Devils get back to work against the Hurricanes of the Rock, and we'll see if the Kraken can take another step closer to a conference final as they'll play host to the Dallas Stars. Uh, We'll be back with you again on Wednesday to recap everything that happened today and tomorrow. Plus, we'll find out who's going to get the first overall pick in the draft. Are the Rangers closer to a coach? We'll get all that going in Wednesday. And then Wednesday, we'll make sure we'll carve out some time for the social media to get in touch with me at, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. So enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the games tomorrow. Talk to you again on Wednesday. Good luck, Duck fans. Maybe you'll get a chance to do what you couldn't do the year that Sidney Crosby 
was drafted. If you remember, you lost the lottery coming out of the lockout to the Penguins. You got the second overall pick. Penguins got the first overall pick. Maybe this year you'll be able to land uh, the great player coming out of the draft, and we'll see. Good luck to Chicago, Montreal, all those teams that are kind of close as well. Columbus Blue Jackets, that can turn their franchise around as well, get this uh, kid a chance to play with Johnny Gaudreau over in uh, Columbus. So should be a lot of fun tonight. Talk to you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.